Good morning. Today, I am pleased to help us recognize and celebrate Mary McLeod Bethune. Mary McLeod Bethune was one of the most important black educators, civil and women's rights leaders, and government officials of the 20th century. Bethune was born on July 10th, 1875. Her parents were formerly enslaved and continued to work the land on which they had been enslaved. Faith and education were always a core part of Bethune's life, and in 1894, she graduated from Scotia Seminary, a boarding school in North Carolina. Bethune next attended the Moody Institute for Missions in Chicago. Upon graduation, however, no one would hire her as a missionary because she was a black woman. So she became a teacher. In 1904, determined to expand education opportunities for black youth, Bethune opened her own boarding school, which eventually became a college and merged with the all-male Cookman Institute to form Bethune-Cookman College in 1929, which still exists today as Bethune-Cookman University. In 1936, President Franklin Roosevelt appointed Bethune to high federal office, which made her the highest-ranking African-American woman in government. Then, after having served in government for many years, in 1945, President Harry Truman sent her to the founding conference of the United Nations, making her the only person of color to represent the United States. In addition to serving in the church and in government, Bethune owned her own business, wrote for two leading African-American newspapers, and was honored with many awards. In 1985, she was honored with her own postage stamp. And on July 13th, 2022, Bethune became the first African-American to be represented with a state statue in the National Statuary Hall collection in the U.S. Capitol. Today, we celebrate Mary McLeod Bethune, her faith, and her many contributions to a more just American society. A good morning, Sanctuary. Will you pray with me? May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength, our tower, and our redeemer. Amen. As you may know, we are now in February, celebrating Black History Month. Um, during this time, we honor and recognize African Americans' contribution to our country, to literature, to the arts, and to the world. Despite facing adverse conditions and difficult periods, we have persevered and made a valuable contribution. I am continuously deeply moved by the story of Exodus and Jewish liberation, which shares similarities and probably is the root in some ways of black liberation today. The black experience is multivariant and it's a composite of different peoples, different lives and different beings coming together and being the thing we might call black. One thing we might be able to highlight or draw from African-American culture is the ability to go forward during and despite difficulty, seeking and seeing God, and moving from safe to brave. Today, I'll be focusing on Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, and his story as is recorded in Luke 19. One might be asking, well, what does this small Jewish man might have to do with blackness on the Sunday, and I would say, everything. <laughs> and so, it reads in this way, Jesus entered Jericho and passed through the city. A man who was there was named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but could not see over the crowd, because he was too short. 
So he ran ahead and climbed a tree, a sycamore fig tree to be exact, to see Jesus coming. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I'm going to stay at your house tonight. So he came down and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to murmur. He has gone to be with a sinner. Zacchaeus stood up and said, look, Lord, now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody, I'll give them four and pay back four times of what I've cheated. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to the house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, there are a whole lot of beautiful things about this account found in Luke. But before we dive into unpacking this or what it might broadly mean for the church, I'd like to offer some context. First, the road between Jericho and Jerusalem is a road you don't want to be caught in at night. There are robbers, there are thieves, it's dangerous. In fact, we might remember the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan was assaulted on this said road. So this is not a place for kids. It's not a place you want to go unprotected or alone. But the tax collector, Zacchaeus, and we is viewed with kind of dismay because tax collectors were viewed as having betrayed their families and their communities, and they're generally disliked and possibly corrupt. Um, and not only this, Zacchaeus is short, he's disliked, he's rich. He's, it's not going well for him. And I find it unusual that the, the scripture mentions his height. Because usually, the scripture doesn't mention people's appearance quite like this. So it's, it's important to the story. It's important, at least to the writers of Luke, to have mentioned this. It also might be that his shortness is leaning towards him being in a distance between God and himself, a distance between him and his community. But despite this, Zacchaeus was persistent. He intended to see Christ. He was on a mission. And everyone else was in his way. In Sanctuary, I know this feeling in part. See, I live um, on Scott Park, which is sort of that way in town. And in order to get to the downtown, I have to go through the street called Court Street. And Court Street is notoriously for people driving real slow. They like drive at like 10 miles per hour. And I'm like behind them praying, Jesus take the wheel from them. <laughs> because they cannot drive and I'm late. And it's, it's my problem and my fault that I'm late, obviously, because um, it's hard for me to be anywhere on time. But it's exacerbated by the fact that I really need to get someplace. And I am prevented from doing that by my brothers and sisters who are driving very slowly and without purpose. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Zacchaeus has this experience in some way, I'm sure, and runs ahead, climbs his tree in order to see God in the flesh walking by. He's gone through discomfort to achieve this goal. He has to climb, and he's short, so that's, that's actually a long way, I'm imagining. Um, and given his limitations, and we all have them, he's improvising. And if there's a will, there's a way, and he ain't playing no games. He finds himself in a tree, waiting to see the Lord. Now, see, I firmly believe that God presents herself to us when we approach her. If you look for signs of God, you'll find signs of God, and better yet and still, God may find you in a tree as is the case of Zacchaeus. Or to tell it another way, Jesus heads towards Jerusalem by way of Jericho. He could have taken many other routes. He could have gone a different way, but he doesn't. He chooses this route. And something auspicious happens. 
as he goes to the city, he stops at the exact spot where Zacchaeus is in a tree. And he looks up to him and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I need to stay at your house. The, the writings of Luke, more than any other synoptic gospel, the seeing gospels, were concerned about matters of wealth, treatment of the poor, and the marginalized. In a previous chapter, another wealthy man asked Jesus, well, what must I do to, to have eternal life? And Jesus says, depart from your wealth. Give it up and follow me. This encounter ends with sadness, which prompted Jesus to say, it is nearly impossible for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Yet here we have another wealthy man who receives Jesus and promises to give half of his wealth over to the poor and to restore fourfold any amount which he had taken in dishonesty, after which Christ responds, today salvation has come to the house because this man is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. My favorite movie, The Lion King, um, is about this... Uh, dad lion, um, Mufasa, and a kid lion, Simba. And so Simba has had this encounter, and he's distant from his family. He's, he's traveling in this jungle, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking. And this uh, wise monkey encounters him. And the story will pick up there. And uh, if you'll just play that for me. Thank you so much. That's not my father. It's just my reflection. No. Look hard. You see, he lives in you. So, generally speaking, when Jesus encounters people who have been in sin, he tells them, go in peace and sin no more. But that's not what Christ says to Zacchaeus. It's worth noting, in fact, he only says, today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. It seems to me that Zacchaeus giving his wealth away has nothing to do with Jesus per se, except maybe possibly his presence. It seems connected to what the crowd response was, the murmuring in the crowd. The declaration from Christ that he issued is not based on anything Zacharias, Zacchaeus could have done, but it's based on who he is. And just like that, Christ has done it again. He has disrupted social systems and destabilized power. He's brought hierarchy to its knees. 
he has said it mostly for the benefit of the crowd, not for Zacchaeus. He has brought Zacchaeus' humanity forward and honored him by going to his house. But in doing so, he reattaches Zacchaeus to the community because this man, too, is a son of Abraham, or this man, too, is a son of God. And so with the Lion King, and he's asking uh, Mufasa in his godlike appearance, is asking his son to remember who he is and that he lives inside of him. And in that moment, Jesus is addressing the crowd to remember who Zacchaeus is, who, and to Zacchaeus to remember who he is, in order for them to be reunited together. You see, I remember uh, my first year of, of high school. Um, I hated gym class, as you might imagine. Um, I made up in my mind I was not going to go anymore, um, and they were not going to make fools out of me anymore. I didn't want to get hit with any more dodgeballs. I wasn't going to play football. I wasn't going to run anymore. I don't want to be outside. Um, in fact, I thought, I'm going to hide under my bed for the whole semester, and this seems like a reasonable, reasonable choice. And some of you might have had similar experiences. Um, so the people pick the team captains, and they go off to different sides of the room, and then they start one by one picking their people. They pick the favorites first, and then the less favorites, and the less favorites, and I'm left with me and the geeky kid named Todd. We're the last two people standing. And I was like, I just not, I'm not doing this no more. So I'm going to hide under my bed for the majority of the semester. You know, my mom, she works early in the morning. And so I'm responsible for getting myself to school. And so this had gone on for maybe like five weeks or so. And I get to school second period right on time. And I encounter Mr. Reynolds. Mr. Reynolds is my gym teacher. And he says, McMillan, I haven't seen you all semester. Where have you been? I, say, I look him in the face and I say, hiding under my bed. <laughs> And he says, from who? I said, you. <laughs> and he says, and he says um, you know, if you spend half the time from hiding under your bed actually playing the sport, you might be good at it. You might find that, you know, you're an athlete. I think you might be an athlete. And I said, you know, only the wicked run when no one is pursuing them. <laughs> That's Proverbs 28. And he says, <laughs> he says, do the wicked also hide under their bed? And I was about to respond, and he says, you know what, McMillan, I don't know why gym teachers call you by your last name, but he's like, you know what, Mc McMillan, um, I'm, I'm a fan of the good book, too. I, uh, me and you, we're going to figure out this summer if, the weary can, if you can walk and not grow weary, run and not be faint. That's Isaiah 40, 31. And he says, good day, McMillan. You know, tell your mom to expect a call from me. And he walks away, and Mr. Reynolds walks away. No, perhaps Mr. Reynolds saw something in me. Perhaps he saw something that I didn't see in myself. Something that I wouldn't probably come to notice until later. Um, I don't think Mr. Reynolds knew that I would be a dancer, but I think he knew I was something more than what I was doing. Something more, I could be better than what I was being at the moment. And so, when Christ says he's, he came to save the lost, I'm not actually sure he's at all talking to Zacchaeus. No, not at all. I think he's talking to the crowd. Because you don't, if you have a pen and you lose the pen, you don't tell the pen you're lost because those who are lost know where they are. You tell the people who lost the pen that the pen has been found. And that is everything. So while we're sitting thinking, or while I'm sitting thinking, oh, this is really about um, his redemption. No, this is about his inclusion, his return to community. 
because they too suffered a loss. They lost a brother or a friend or a son or a cousin or just a member of their, of their community. And Christ reminds them who the tax collector is, not what he does, not what he's dressed like, but who his nature is and who he's a child of. And he does this for a couple reasons. One is to aid in the reattachment of Zacchaeus to the community. The other is that it's hard to treat people who are of you, who are from you, who are like you, who you love, with the same distaste and dysfunction that you would treat an outsider with. And I'll push this just a little bit further and say, to treat someone like they don't matter, or to negate them, or to push them to the margins, requires in part the false realization that they are not a part of you, that they're not connected to you, that they're not of you. And perhaps the tax collector first asserted his otherness through participation with the Roman Empire. Perhaps he betrayed his Jewishness by working with Rome. But I can only imagine that when Jesus saw this short little man in a tree looking at him, other than being partly amused, I'm sure Jesus saw a son of Abraham. And so he called him by his name and said, come. And when Christ looks upon us, he sees our inherent worth, our God-given value, not because of what we do, not because of where we shop, not because of the car we drive, not because of who we love, but because of who we are and who we are from. And when I think about the fruit that comes from the struggle of African-American people in my community in particular, and how it contributes to the general society and the well-being of our church communities, it's the ability to be able to problem solve, to be able to be stretched and be uncomfortable, the ability to be able to push and to climb, and I've noticed that what we call empathy, or the reconnection with the one in community, sort of, sort of when the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery is asked, well, who's left to convict you? And she responds, no one. Christ is not only the great reconciler of us to God. Christ is not only the great reconciler of us to our community. Christ is not only the great reconciler of us to the whole world. He is the great reconciler of us to ourselves. And we, have made, we may have been short too long, gay too long, big too long, small too long, short too long. We may have been hated so long. We may have forgotten like Simba, like Zacchaeus, like me, like you maybe, that we are children of the king. And he reintroduces us back into community because we are God's sons, we are God's daughters, and we are God's children. And it's just as simple. We can find these African-American principles of tenacity and of problem-solving and of seeking God and model it for the church more broadly as the church moves in towards conclusion. And we acknowledge that we cannot actually encounter Christ and remain the same, that when he calls us, he calls us by our name. And perhaps it is reminded or brought back to us that we have always already been children of God. And the linchpin for me is when we remind someone that you are of them and they are of you, and although there are essential aspects of our identity that are elements of the world that we live in, such as race, gender, sexual, sexual orientation, class, so forth and so on, class, education, they do not actually change our true value. We are God's beloved, and his banner over us is love. Do you mind putting up the, the beatitude for me, please? And he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of the righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when, you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Zacchaeus could be translated as righteous. And I'm reminded that when he climbed the tree, the pure at heart, or the righteous, did indeed see God. And for the word of God that is found in our scriptures, and for the word of God that is found in our lives, and for the word of God that is found in our church, praise be to God. Amen.